So China is losing out on two fronts. It can't keep its COVID numbers down and now it's facing protests in major cities. Put the two together and that spells trouble for the Chinese economy. Does that mean we should expect global inflation is going to hang around for longer? But then Australian retail numbers yesterday, worse than expected. Does that mean the RBA will see a slowdown happening and adjust their path of rate hikes accordingly? Probably not, but we'll look at that today. Ahead of inflation numbers on the way for Europe, starting with Germany tonight. It's Tuesday, the 29th of November, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar is at almost three quarters of 1% this morning, but the Aussie dollar down way more than that, losing 1.5% this morning, down below 66.5 US cents. The pound has lost 1.2%, a 0.6% fall in the euro. The Chinese yuan uh, is also down 0.6%, and we saw sharp moves yesterday on stocks in China and Hong Kong. The CSI 300 down 1.1%, the Hang Seng down 1.6%. US stocks also down overnight. We saw 1.5% dropping the Dow at close and about 1.6% fall for the Nasdaq and the S&P 500. The Eurostoxx 50 closed down 0.7%, a 1% drop in the DAX. And bond yields rising again, up six basis points for 10 years in Italy, up three in France, one in Germany, and 10-year treasuries up, well, less than one basis point this morning. Aussie 10 years were down six basis points yesterday to 3.51%, but back up by six basis points overnight on futures. And oil, well, Brent is down 0.8%, below $83 now, reaching its lowest level since January overnight, but WTI is up 0.7%. Now, it is fair to say that protests in China that we talked about yesterday have not dissipated. So what happens next and how are markets reacting? Let's talk to Sally Auld from JB Weir. She joins me from Sydney. This doesn't happen often, Sally. I mean, Tiananmen Square was 23 years ago. It is hitting the Aussie dollar, uh, presumably oil as well, is part of that response. Although interesting that uh, part of the uh, the oil story is, is on the rise, though. Yeah, that's right. Good morning, Phil. I think the maybe the the uh, the factor underpinning oil prices were some stories that uh, OPEC Plus was considering a further cut to output at its next meeting, which comes up uh, early in December. So, I think uh, you know, on the one hand, clearly the China story putting some downward pressure on oil prices, but um, as we get closer to that OPEC meeting, um, some of the the stories around that might be that we could be uh, in line for some future. So some more output output cuts, and uh, that obviously puts a floor under the oil price. Yeah. Look, the Tiananmen Square situation was, as I said, years ago, 23 years ago. The Hang Seng on that day when it started fell 22%. It's only down 4% in, a, in early trade on Monday. But, I mean, this could just be the beginning, couldn't it? We don't know where this is going to go, clearly. And you can understand the the uh, the anxiety that people are feeling through through all of these these lockdowns. Strangely, I looked at the front page of the People's Daily. Uh, they don't mention it at all. Uh, they Their headline <laughs> Funny is that. European Council President is to visit China and the uh, Shenzhou 15 manned spaceship on uh, November the 29th. So there are big stories there. Uh, but, I mean, it, it is a concern, isn't it? I mean, not just for, for the people of China, but also how the markets are going to react. And also, you know, what does this do to inflation concerns? If China doesn't get back up to speed, and we've been looking at that, I mean, now we've not just got the concerns about lockdowns, but also protests. It's just going to slow the economy for longer, presumably. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think we all have some sympathy with this because we know from our own experiences that, you know, there is a bit of a a sort of mental limit to to the amount that you can lock down people. Um, And we did obviously see those protests over the weekend and then quite a significant police presence in some of the bigger cities in China uh, over the course of of Monday. Um, 
And so I, I sort of think it's interesting because clearly, you know, if you go back a couple of weeks, the authorities there said, look, we've still got zero COVID policy in place, but we want to have a more targeted approach to that. And I think what we're really seeing is local governments struggle to find that balance between using a more targeted approach to manage COVID, but then also really struggling to control the, the spread of the virus um, as well. And, and this is sort of giving a pretty messy picture of what's actually going on in China. And as you said, markets don't like it. The currency was down, stock market was down, because I think they're saying can't really see a way through to a good outcome here. Either we get a really messy reopening if the authorities just give up on zero COVID policy, and that will clearly come with pressure on the health system and a much higher level um, of sickness and, and death. Or alternatively, the authorities clamp down um, and we just have, you know, a, a much longer period of zero COVID policy. Mm. Um, and the market is sort of working to this expectation that, you know, over the next couple of quarters, we will transition to a proper reopening in China. And, and the market, I think, is is broadly of the view that that'll happen in the second quarter of 2023. Um, so, you know, it feels like that situation is pretty fluid, but I think uh, that, you know, the market's really struggling to see what a good outcome would be uh, for Chinese economic growth and hence global economic growth. Yeah. Um, so it could, it could push that expectation on. of things getting back to normal by the second quarter. And then and then that means, does that mean inflation stays longer? I mean, we had uh, Williams and Bullard, two Fed speakers out uh, this morning, towing the line that, you know, there's more work to be done. Bullard was saying he reckons that maybe market uh, the market might be underpricing the extent of rate hikes next year. And we've got Williams reckoning, well, actually, inflation could be above target possibly into 2024. Of course, if China, you know, we see more delays in the recovery from China, then they may just be right, mightn't they? Well, that's right. And we, we had sort of got to this point, you know, when we look at a, a lot of the measures that we can see in terms of supply chain issues and what's going on uh, on the supply side of the economy, particularly in manufacturing, that, you know, a lot of the, the supply chain issues that were so prevalent at the beginning of this year have really eased a lot. Um, and so I think there's an expectation in the market that, um, you know, we're, we're definitely past the worst of that story. And so that's going to be a positive thing for the inflation trajectory uh, in 2023 and beyond. And so I guess to, to sort of reverse some of that progress would be, um, you know, quite significant for the inflation outlook and also for uh, the front end of interest rate markets. And so, you know, that's already in a context where, as you said, you know, a couple of very senior Fed officials are out overnight saying, you know, the market could be underestimating how far we have to go. Uh, we definitely have to raise rates further. And um, the New York Fed chair, uh, Williams, you know, was really clear on saying we need to have a long period of restrictive policy to be really certain that inflation's on the right trajectory. So he's effectively saying to the market, you know, don't keep betting that we're going to cut rates in 2023. If we're going to do it, that's more likely to be a story for 2024. Mm. Um, and Bullard, Bullard, similarly, you know, he's he's been pretty hawkish all through this cycle, but saying, you know, it, it, we we could be taking rates into that five to seven percent zone. Um, in the US, which is clearly something that the market's not really got its head around um, just yet. Yeah. Uh, but of course, uh, conversely, uh, any sign of a slowdown uh, in the economy, people will be jumping and saying, oh, that means they're going to slow the, 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 the central bank, whichever country you're in, the central bank is going to slow down. So, for example, uh, what a segue that is. Australian retail numbers yesterday for <laughs> October down 0.2% month on month, expected a half a percent rise. Uh, you know, I, I've already seen people saying, oh, does that mean that the uh, the RBA is going to uh, pause or, uh, you know, reduce the number of rate hikes that are that, that are on the cards? 
I mean, we saw, uh, when you look at the numbers, though, I mean, it's one month, isn't it? I mean, a big drop was in, in department store sales. That was down 2.4% month on month. Clothing, household goods, uh, takeaway, uh, all all that was down. Food retailing was up. That's because, of course, prices have gone up. But I guess that's yeah. also, you know, if you look at that, these are figures based on price, aren't they? So, I mean, they, in fact, the falls are greater in terms of volume because, of course, prices have been going up. Absolutely. Uh, so these are these are nominal numbers. So yeah. as you say, they do have a quantity aspect and a price aspect as well. And so if you take out food, you know the, the numbers are actually down um, seven tenths of a percent in the month of October. And so yes, it's interesting because these are the first negative retail sales numbers we've had all year. Um, and so they have got people saying, "Oh wow, well, is this, is this finally is this finally it? You know the rate hikes are actually starting to take effect um, and impact the real economy." I mean, you know, I wouldn't ever one want month. to get too excited about just yeah. one month. And September, um, and was, and September funny... was a strong month as well. We had uh, particularly for takeaway food, uh, extra day public holiday. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's right. So there's some funny statistical things going on here. So as you said, September was a really strong month. We had the extra holiday. Um, so when you look at that component, which is cafes and restaurants and takeaway food, that fell in October after a really strong month in September. The other thing we don't really have a sense of because this is a – uh, you know, a relatively recent phenomenon is what the whole Black Friday, Cyber Monday story means for retail sales and seasonal adjustment. So yeah. maybe, you know, consumers sort of held off consuming or spending in October because they knew the sales were coming up in, in November. And so, you know, we might get a bit of a, a payback in a positive sense um, when we see the, the, the numbers for November. Um, and I also think the other thing that we, we sort of forget is that Let's put this into context. So even after the decline in October, retail sales are still running at 12.5% year on year, which is phenomenal. Part of that is obviously the price story. But even when we look at good spending, I mean, it's 32% above where it was pre-pandemic. Yeah. Um, and so the numbers as they stand today are well above trend. Um, so in some sense, it's not surprising to see a little bit of weakness. And we know that no, this is fact, actually what's meant to happen. You, why is it taking so long? Would that, would actually be the Yeah, case, I, mean, I, look, I think it? there's a story there around the lagged effect of, of rate hikes, so the mechanics of when you know, the RBA actually decides to lift rates and you know the process through which that's passed on to uh, the end mortgage holder doesn't happen overnight. In fact, it actually takes a couple of months in most instances. So, um, you know, when you hear central bankers talk about monetary policy, they say, look, you know, it's probably – 12 to 18 months after the first rate hike that we think the full effect of our tightening cycle is being seen in the real economy. So there are some some pretty long lags with all yeah. of this. So, so all of those factors, it's just one month. Uh, we are still uh, sort of uh, well above trend growth uh, mm-hmm. if we look at before before pandemic. Uh, and, you know, Black Friday, uh, the, the fact that September, you know, it's so one month of it based on, you know, September being uh, an extraordinary month. The answer to that question, uh, how does the RBA react to this? The answer is probably in no way whatsoever, I suspect. That's right. I don't think one one number like this is, is going to deter them from another rate hike in early December um, because when we look at the things that are really fundamental to driving inflation, like the strength in the labour market, what's going on with wages, uh, both the, the most recent readings on on those indicators, which it, which came after the November board meeting, tell us that that part of the economy is still super, super strong, running very hot. And so I think the case for another rate hike, given that the RBA is really, even by its own numbers, only just 
um, in restrictive territory. I think the case for another rate hike in December is pretty clear. And look, to, just to show how choppy retail numbers can be, the CBI number from uh, from the UK, their distributive trade index, which measures the retail sector over there, uh, numbers out overnight. That's down to minus 19 from positive 18 last month. So 19 means minus 19 means 19% of retailers uh, said that spending fell over the year to November uh, from a, a positive 18. But before that, it was minus 20 the month before. So it yeah. is uh, all over the place. We're seeing these numbers being very choppy. Mm. So Philip Lowe yesterday then, uh, he was in front of Senate estimates. Apart from apologising for uh, leading people into taking out mortgages by suggesting rates would be lower and uh, it would happen later uh, than they ended up being, uh, was the, well, that, that's what the headline was, of course, in the newspapers yesterday. But was there much else that we could take out from what he said? Look, Phil, not a whole lot else. Um, there, was, there was no prepared text. So as he said, he was appearing before the Senate Econo- Economics Legislation Committee. Um, and basically just really reinforced, I guess, what the RBA have been saying in speeches in their you know, quarterly statement on monetary policy, which came out earlier um, in the month, which is that you know, clearly uh, they need to take policy into restrictive territory. They need to be sure that inflation's on a trajectory to get back to target. Um, you know, it would be great if they could achieve all of that while keeping the economy on an even keel. Um, and so it, it really was the same story. But as you said, yes, uh, you know, he did sort of apologise and say, look, I'm sorry if people, people listened to us or misunderstood that there wasn't more of a caveat attached to, um, you know, our, our statement that, you know, rates will be on hold until 2024. So, um, you know, I think the RBA, as we know, over the course of this year, have copped a fair bit of heat um, about that. Um, and so, you know, unfortunately for the governor, I think the sentiment was was probably the right one. He did genuinely want to apologise, but there's a fair bit of um, coverage in the media today saying, well, that was a bit of a, a lukewarm apology and, and, you know, maybe that wasn't the right way to go about it and so on and so forth. So I'm not sure um, that he, he's put the institution in a better place this morning than it was this time yesterday, but... Um, you know, this is, I guess, some of the lessons learned for the RBA over the course of, of the last couple of years, which is when you're dealing with unconventional monetary policy, which at the right t- at, at the time seemed like very much the right thing to do, the exit from that policy can can actually be pretty well, messy. These are messy times for everybody, aren't they? Uh, Christine Lagarde, also in front of uh, the parliament as well in Europe, the Committee on Economic and Monetary Affairs at the European Parliament. She was sounding fairly hawkish, uh, which of course is where the ECB is right now. She said she'd be surprised if inflation has, has peaked. Uh, they expect to continue to raise rates. Uh, she didn't really say anything particularly new, did she? I mean, we, we, we know that the ECB has suddenly upped their game in terms of where they're going. Yeah, absolutely. So she didn't pull in any punches. And I think what she's trying to do is just position um, the ECB just ahead of the next lot of inflation numbers which come out uh, tomorrow. And so expectations are that the, that the annual rate of inflation in Europe is, is going to come off a little bit. So from the high tens to the low tens. Um, and I think what she's really trying to say is don't read too much into that. That's just, again, one month. Um, and it's pretty clear that given how broad-based inflation pressures are in Europe that, you know, we, d- we don't think we're at the peak um, in, in that trajectory. And so, you know, I guess this sort of um, really supports the change in pricing we saw over the last couple of days after some hawkish commentary from other ECB officials where it feels like the central bank over there is, is saying to the market, you know, there's a really good chance that we could actually go go by 75 basis points um, at our next meeting in December. Yeah. I also noticed the money supply uh, for the euro area 
has fallen down. The, not actually the total money supply, but the growth of money supply has grown. So it's 5.1% growth year on year, uh, which was less than expected. It was 6.3% growth to, to September. I'm not quite sure how that... I mean, that's a very technical question. I'm not going to ask you about whether actually less money means that inflation will come down or it presumably means there's less loans being taken out because, of course, loans create, uh, extend the money supply. But for whatever reason, I'm not I'm not even going to go there because I know that's a very t- deeply technical question. That I don't want to sling in you <laughs> at the last minute. So let's have a look at what's happening today because uh, we do get, I mean, you're mentioning inflation tomorrow for the euro, but we get, get German Germany's inflation data as well today. So, th- I mean, that's always a good prelude to what's going to happen the next day, obviously. Yes, indeed. So we get some, some regional inflation numbers um, across Germany, which, as you said, you know, the the economists will sort of sit there and, and try and extrapolate what that means for you know the broader European number, which will come in um, on Wednesday. So, as I said, you know, the expectations mm. are is that you know just in terms of the run rate, run rate, we might see something that's a little softer, um, but you know, would caution reading too much into that. And Canada's GDP, uh, the uh, the US House Price Index, the Conference Board's Consumer Confidence Index as well. We get uh, all of that mortgage approvals mm-hmm. for the UK, so there's a few numbers out there, but I think all eyes are going to be on inflation, aren't they? And what happens next in China as well. Uh, Indeed. We'll leave it there for now. Uh, good to talk to you. Catch you next time. Thanks, Sally. Thanks very much, Phil. And that is the morning call. That's Sally Old. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. I am back again tomorrow morning. Uh, Sally will be back in a couple of weeks, but I'll see you tomorrow morning. Uh, thanks for listening in. See you then.